Acts the 19th chapter. Now, I would like to say that the choir numbers have been going so well with my messages. (coughs) This particular uh, one that I am reading tonight is an intentional thing. When I say an intentional thing, I'm reading because the choir sung the song. So, (coughs) we're not trying to say that uh, it just happened so beautifully that the Lord just put it together. It seemed like every time that that uh, uh, the choir has been singing lately, they've been singing almost exactly, at least related subjects to what I've been preaching and teaching on. Uh, while I had planned on reading this, I'm just going to read it to start with, uh, rather than read it later on. Simply because the choir sung it. Now sometimes, you know, the Lord plans things. Sometimes God expects you to plan things. Isn't that right? You know, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make. You know, if you're going to purchase a new car and you can't decide what color, the best thing to do is just decide what color you'd like to drive. The Lord doesn't come down and put his hand and say, get the red one. You know, it doesn't always happen. That's why we have a committee tonight to pick out a color on the drapes. We feel that the Lord really cared uh, <clears throat> what color we have, well, then we would fast and seek the Lord. But there's so many things that, that God expects us to do simply because that He has placed the church in the hands of men. Now that's not exclusively in the hands of men. When I say exclusively in the hands of men, he works through men here on the face of the earth. But, of course, he is still the head. Acts the 19th chapter. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed. Isn't that a great question? Great question. I talked this morning about the plan of salvation, and that's what I plan on talking about tonight. Of all the preaching that I do, I suppose the doctrinal preaching relative to the oneness of God, relative to His name, and the plan of salvation, I enjoy more than any other preaching. I just enjoy it. I like it. Now these men, or these disciples, who were at Corinth, were evidently the disciples of John the Baptist. At least they knew only the baptism of John. They actually were following a man who was a disciple of John the Baptist by the name of Apollos. (coughs) Pardon me. (coughs) Now, the scripture goes on to say, They said unto him, that's Paul, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. You know, there's a lot of people that does not know, that do not know, that God gives the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Now, I, I spoke this morning about, about speaking with other tongues, trying my uh, 
best as directed by God to to clarify a few things that confuse people relative to speaking with tongues. Now, the Bible says, and they said, we, uh, how were you baptized? Well, pardon me, I think I left a little bit out. Uh, verse 3 then, and he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now these were very sincere people, but sincerity alone does not save you. There is a, a doctrine in the world that's taught by liberal Christians that states that God is too good to send anybody to hell. The humanists on the other end teach that man is too good for God to send him to hell. Now quite frankly, <clears throat> according to the scripture, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels and a choice to go to hell or to be saved is yours. You actually determine that, not God. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, the 22nd chapter, whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. Now, these people were the disciples of John the Baptist. They knew only his baptism. And as I stated this morning, John was a Baptist because he baptized you see, but the Baptist said, what I preach and teach will decrease and he will increase. See, so there is a group today that follow after the teachings of John. They even name their denomination after him. But they need to understand that the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. And in the scripture we have positive proof of John's disciples being rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> now after this happened, the Bible says, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. They spake with tongues and prophesied. All the men were about twelve. Now, <coughs> have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, these people have never heard that there be any Holy Ghost. Now, you can't receive something. When I say you can't receive something that you never heard, at least you need direction. In, in, in the particular way in which you're to go, you can't have faith in something that you never heard of. In, in Romans, the 10th chapter, the Bible makes it very plain to be saved you must call upon the name of the Lord the scripture goes on to say then how shall they call upon him in whom they've not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall he preach except he be sent now we took an offering tonight for missionaries and for the work abroad now quite frankly if I felt in my heart that everybody who had never heard of Jesus would be saved 
I'd keep the offering right here in this church. Because I think it would be, uh, I think it would be a very poor example of stewardship to take money that's needed to evangelize people who have heard, who we know that are lost, send it overseas to evangelize people who have never heard if they're going to be saved without hearing. Now you think about that. You may say, well, it seems to me very unfair that God would allow people to go to hell that's never heard. Well, see, I didn't write the Bible, so I don't question that. See, I found out a long time ago there are certain things that I take care of and certain things God takes care of. Now, I got enough to worry about just running my own life, let alone all of God's business. But I will say this, friend, that in the lands in which people have never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the lands in which the pagans live and the heathens live, where their children are offered up as sacrifices unto idols and gods that do not exist, where babies are sawed in half, and fed to wild animals and such to satisfy, to satisfy gods. You see, when God looks down upon that situation, He understands that these people are locked in the bondage of iniquity and of the chains of darkness because of sin. Now, <clears throat> all the way back in the book of Genesis, we have to go to find out where all of this originated. And, of course, the Bible says <coughs> that God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He formed them from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Verse 7 of Genesis 2. God put the man in the garden to dress it and keep it. And he planted this beautiful vineyard, but in the midst of the garden were two trees. One was the tree of life, and one was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, they could have eaten of the tree of life, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Now, they did not eat of the tree of life while they were in the Garden of Eden. But they did go, the serpent came, and this was the, the devil came to them and tempted them to, to disobey the commandment of God. And when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened. And when their eyes were opened <clears throat> to evil, then they understood what God was talking about. They even looked upon their, their nudeness. And they were condemned. And they went and clothed themselves. They made aprons or clothes out of leaves. And they clothed themselves. God was not satisfied with that. He killed an animal. And clothed them with the skins of animals. Now, that clothing with the skins of animals 
in the Old Testament is a type or a shadow of God clothing man with righteousness today. Now the Bible is divided into several different categories. There are certain dispensations. A dispensation simply means periods of time in which God dealt with man a particular way. Now, in order to understand the whole plan of God, you must understand the dispensations. The reason why that Ann Gaylor, who we talked about in our watch night service, is able to call the Bible a book of violence and sexism is because she's never had a home Bible study, which clearly defines the dispensations. But as much as I disagree with war, I would also like to question Ann Gaylor about this. If we had not have had a revolutionary war in which men fought for our liberties, and Gaylor would not be privileged to voice herself the way she does today. I'll assure you of that. <clears throat> now that's a pretty big wad to chew on. And if she had been born under some communist tyrant or dictatorship, she certainly would not be able to express herself the way that she does. While I disagree with the principle of war, I must say that I do appreciate everybody who has fought and given us the liberty to be able to stand here and have the freedom of speech and preach the word of God. And listen, we can worship all we want to worship. If the neighbors say, hey, you're making too much noise over here, all we got to do is say, you mind your business, we mind ours. Now, that might not be our attitude, but we could do it if we wanted to. You have your parties on Thursday night. We have our church on Thursday night. You play your rock music on Friday night. We just get over here and shout in the presence of the Lord on Sunday. There is a vast difference in the two. But what I'm saying is that in our country, we can do that. can't do that in many countries. <coughs> but there was a time in the Old Testament in which God did specify that the children of Israel go to war. Now, if you do not understand the dispensations that are spoken of in the Bible, you will not understand that particular principle. I wish I had a lot of time just to talk about some of these things like that. But you see, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were then driven outside the garden, and God put cherubims with flaming swords to keep them out of the garden, lest they then eat of the tree of life and live forever. God did not want Adam and Eve, whose eyes were open to good and evil, to go back in there and eat of that tree, and in their sinful state, live forever. Because you see, with sin, there is a curse, and there is a sorrow, and there is a guilt. Now, 
when God drove them outside the garden, he pronounced a curse upon man, a curse upon the earth, and a curse upon the serpent. Now, God provided a plan in which to bring man back into that state of innocence. It has always been the longing of God to bring men back to the garden of Eden. Not to the physical place where it was, but to that state of innocence. Listen, you don't know how wonderful it is to be innocent until you really have some experience that allows you to see the beauty of it. See, Solomon said, through much wisdom cometh sorrow. You can know certain things that break your heart. I was just talking to an individual this morning. He not knowing what I had planned on speaking to you about. I just shared with him. It just seemed to fit. I shared with him a particular part of this message of which I want to share with you. You see, one of the hardships of leadership is the fact that you deal with the weaknesses of people. And you have a knowledge of so many weak points of people. Now, I am not here to glorify leadership, but I will say that God doesn't call everyone to be a pastor, a shepherd, or to be a deacon. And if you're not called to be one, you just should say, thank the Lord. Because you see, people come and they express to you their problems and troubles. And you know, one of the greatest things in the world is to sit by a brother or sister and just sit there and worship the Lord and not know anything about Him. Because when you know certain things, because we do live in this troubled body of flesh that has been cursed, if we are not very prayerful, and if we're not spiritual, it is easy for us to allow their weakness to get the best of us. And one of the beauties of that I find in when you first come to God is that, that there's so many people who do not really have much knowledge of sin. And and it's just so beautiful when I see people I'm not I'm not I don't want you to take this out of context. But when I see people do something that I have convictions against, and I explain that, and, and they, they just get this look on their face like, wow, I didn't know that was wrong. And they just had been innocently doing it, see. Now, it is, it is so beautiful to dwell in innocence. It really is. And, and can I say this to all of our young people who are here? Young people, there seems to be a quest or drive in them to experience sin. Paul spoke to Timothy, a young man. 
He said, Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Uh, Solomon said, after experiencing so much heartache in his life as a result of his experience in, in a life of sin, he said, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. In other words, stay innocent if you can. Because there are certain things about the world that I have a knowledge of, friend, that haunts me at times. And it bothers me. It really does. It bothers me. You don't fully understand what the Apostle Paul was writing when he wrote to the church at Rome. And he said, concerning the things of the world, brethren, I would have you to be simple. That means it's better not to know the things of the world. And the beauty of the Christian school is that it does cluster to, to a great degree young people and keep them from knowing too much about the world. Because I'll assure you, friend, that even after you have received that beautiful plan of God to bring you back into innocence, because your mind is still operable and because that we all have times in which we do not pray like we ought to while we should constantly feed upon the Lord you know it's easy for the devil at that time then to bring to your remembrance certain things that you heard and certain, certain things you have knowledge of now I have never in my life, known the temptation of alcoholic beverages. Now you may say, why? Because I've never tasted any. I mean, I really haven't. Anybody wants to know anything about beer, don't ask John Grant. I don't have the slightest idea what it tastes like, know what it smells like. And it doesn't smell like anything that's fit for human consumption. No, really. You know, I don't know. I don't. I have no idea what hard liquor is like. I just don't know. I don't have any idea what it's like to be a little bit lightheaded and high from alcohol. I just don't have any idea. So you see, <coughs> it's pretty hard for Satan then when I'm low, to tempt me to go to a bar or go to a liquor store and get something and go drink. I just never have tasted of any alcoholic beverage. I've had people to call me a liar and said, you have got to be lying. Nobody has ever lived to be 43 years of age and never tasted of any alcoholic beverage. Well, friend, you've got your eyes set on one man who has. Now, I know that a lot of young people say, Oh, Brother Grant's just an old fuddy-duddy. He doesn't know what's going on in the world. I say, Thank God that I don't. That doesn't bother me. You know the reason why? You see, I have an alcoholic neighbor, for an example. And her husband runs a bar. And she's been in our home weeping and crying. We prayed for her. But you see, she goes back to the bar. And every day she goes back to the bar. And every day she goes back to the bar. Why? 
You see, she has the knowledge of good and evil. And there is a temptation there. She knows what it's like to drink. And she's hooked on it, friend. And you know, you can be hooked on a lot of lustful things in the world too. I'm serious with you. There are certain things that you don't need to see with your eyes. There are certain places that you do not need to go. And if you want to bring to yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of sorrow, you just look at the wrong things and participate in the, and hear the wrong things. It is to your benefit to turn your ear deaf at a time in which some smutty, filthy jokes are being told and walk away. Because for some reason, the devil can bring those to your remembrance. Now Jesus said, when you stand before the kings and the magistrates, he said, take no thought of what you may say. For in that hour, the Holy Ghost will bring to remembrance the things that you've seen and the things you've heard. And you see, when, when you hear spiritual things and preaching and read your Bible, and you're brought before the magistrates and the kings, God could bring to remembrance those things that you have seen and you have heard. This is why I tell the people, uh, read the Bible a lot, talk to people, get individual testimonies, listen to preaching, keep your mind upon the things of the Lord. Because if you don't do this, you see, when you stand before people to witness to them, you don't know what to say because you're lost of words. And, and you see, the Holy Ghost can't bring to remembrance things that you have not read and things that you have not heard, things you haven't seen. But inasmuch as God takes advantage of this, the faculty of your mind, so does Satan. He does also. He literally takes advantage of the faculty of your mind. He is able, in some weak moments, he is able to bring evil thoughts to your mind that are not right. Now, Jesus taught his disciples how to deal with that. Get thee behind me, Satan. We have to rebuke certain evil thoughts. See, you can't keep a salesman from knocking on your door. Even if you have up a sign that says no soliciting, you can't keep him from knocking on the door. But you can, if you have enough discipline, you can keep yourself from buying his product. And you can't keep evil thoughts out of your mind all the time if you can't share that with, with me. Because I'd like to share it with a whole lot of people. See, I don't always think right about you. And the reason why I don't always think right about you is because of the knowledge of good and evil that I have. If you think you can come in my office and, and, and unload all your burdens on me and walk out and Brother Grant will never think one adverse thought about you, please don't bring them in there. You may say, oh, but Brother Grant, as a leader, you have to do this. I think that I have enough self-discipline to treat you with the utmost respect when you do this, but I'll tell you the truth, there are times when you walk out of the office and say, what in the world did he do that for? Anybody that doesn't have any better sense than that, you know, but I'm sure that if you were the pastor and I had to come to you, you'd do the same. You see, that's what good and evil does to you. But it's good for brethren to be to dwell together in unity, the Bible says. How great it is 
how great it is. But because that we took on this sinful element, God provided plans in certain ages for us to cope with this. Now, <clears throat> we have the term that we use, the plan of salvation. Now, if you would turn with me to Exodus, the 25th chapter, we are dealing with a particular plan that God gave to Moses after several dispensations had gone. This was in the approximate year of 1500 B.C., from 12 to 1500 B.C. in that particular age. If you will look in verse 40, and we'll read that, and we'll explain a few things that takes place in Exodus 25. Verse 40 says, And look, that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. See, God called a man by the name of Moses upon the mountain of Sinai, and he was to receive a plan for their salvation. A plan that would take away the extreme guilt of sin. Now while what you read here is dealing with the physical, that physical certainly is a type, a cloud, or shadow of things that we enjoy so beautifully here in this dispensation that we have. There have been several dispensations. The dispensation of innocence. The dispensation of conscience. conscience, The dispensation of human government. And then the dispensation of promise. The fifth dispensation was the dispensation of the law. Moses was the giver of the Old Testament law. And God gave to him a plan. And he then gave it to Israel and they built this tabernacle, this physical tabernacle. That was to be a plan in which they could rid themselves of guilt in the presence of each other and in the presence of God. While they had a knowledge of sin, it was a way of them casting their cares upon God. It was a way of them, through faith in God, feeling that they did not have to labor under condemnation. Now they built this tabernacle now, a tabernacle was simply a house. Let's just take this church here for an example. And we will divide it into three parts. So somewhere around where Brother Rich Woodring sits here, raise your hand, Rich, there was a wall. And then there was twice the distance to the back wall. And there was a door coming in to that house. Now where Brother Rich is here, there was a curtain 
or veil that went across. Near the back wall, there was a big ark, a big box. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. It contained the table of stones that God gave Moses that had the Ten Commandments on it. It also contained a pot of manna that Moses had picked up in the wilderness. And it contained Aaron's rod, his staff, that budded and produced almonds all in overnight. On the top of that, there were cherubims or angels facing each other with their wings and in between there was a place in which the high priest could sit. It was called the mercy seat. In the Old Testament quite often the statement is made concerning God and his dwelling place, the God that dwelleth between the cherubims. That's what it's making reference to. Just on the other side of the curtain, right outside of that holy place, Actually, it was called the Holy of Holies. There was an altar there. It was an altar of incense in which blood was sprinkled upon and incense were burned as a sweet-smelling savor to God. Back a ways on the right-hand side as you come in, there was a table of showbread having 12 fresh baked loaves that were placed there. And those loaves of bread represented the twelve tribes of Israel. On the other side, the left hand side, as you walk into that holy place, there was a golden candlestick. And this candlestick burned perpetually representing the light of the Word of God. When you go outside the back door, the first article of furniture that you would find, you would find a big brazen laver. It had water in it. It was filled with water. It was made from the mirrors or the looking glasses of the ladies. They had brought them out of Egypt. And then as you approach the back gate going out of the courtyard that surrounded this building, there was a big brazen altar where innocent animals were sacrificed for the sin of Israel and for the individual sins of men. Now, Right outside of that entrance gate, there was a tribe that dwelt called the Levitical tribe. They were the tribe of Levi that God had chosen. And the way God chose them was through the budding of Aaron's rod that we spoke of that was in that, that Ark of the Covenant. On the north side of that outer courtyard, three tribes of Israel dwelt. 
On the south side there were three. On the east side there were three. And on the west side there were three. In other words, God gathered them around that. Now basically, what took place is that the priest would take an animal. Let's talk of the atonement for all of the sins of Israel. He would take an innocent animal, place it upon that altar, the first article of furniture, out in the outer courtyard as you walk through the gate. He would take a knife through its, to its throat after he had carefully examined the animal to make sure that it had no blemishes, no spots on it. He cut the juggler vein of that animal and allowed the blood to spill upon that altar. While this innocent animal was dying, the priest with his hand upon the head of that animal, somehow in an invisible way, he could feel all the sins of Israel passing through his body, down his hand, and into the innocent lamb. While that lamb was kicking and scrambling and gasping, trying to live. The sins of all of Israel was passing down through this priest into this innocent victim. And so as a result, on that great day of atonement, Israel could receive justification in the presence of God. Why? Because an innocent one bore their sins. Blood was collected and placed on the altar of incense. That was just in front of the veil. That brazen laver was used for the cleansing of the washing of the priest. The articles of furniture inside of the holy place were in the form of a cross. The table of showbread, the candlestick, the mercy seat at the very head of the cross or the form of the cross. This is a type of the New Testament plan of salvation that we love and enjoy so much. Now, when this was all laid out, Moses was the man who was to first take the priest and cleanse them and purify them. And then the priest, through generations to come, were to perpetuate the plan by cleansing other men. The cleansing took place first at the brazen laver. Now there are certain things that you find in the New Testament that I feel that's necessary at this time to point out to you. If you will turn with me to the third chapter of the book of John. 
Jesus gives the new birth to a man by the name of Nicodemus. Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto them, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit, marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now in all dispensations, the plan of God for that dispensation applied to all men. Now, this is the reason why that keep your finger right here on John the third chapter and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. I used this morning the thought of all, all did this, all did that, and you find the word A-L-L throughout the scripture, so is everyone. Now, everyone means all. Okay, now, 1 Corinthians 10, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And they drank of that spiritual, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Now, when they passed through the Red Sea, before that tabernacle was built, that particular passing through the Red Sea was a type and a shadow of the New Testament plan of baptism. And the Egyptians that, that drowned in the sea. That was a type or a shadow of the old man that is planted in the sea that Paul speaks of in Romans the 6th chapter. The old man is planted with Christ in baptism. That's why the psalmist said the horse and the rider is cast into the sea. That represents the old man of sin being destroyed in the waters of baptism, which is a type of Christ's burial on the cross. That pillar of fire that danced fervently in the night above them and revealed itself as a cloud or a haze over them to offer them a pavilion from the bright desert suns in the daytime. This was a type of the spirit Baptism that manifests itself by fire. That's why John spoke of Jesus Christ. He shall baptize you 
with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now let's get back to the story of Nicodemus. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. You see, in our particular age, in the hour that we live in, because that there are so many conflicting thoughts and denominations, and I say this without hesitation and without reservation at all, most denominations are no more than deviations. True deviations from the scriptural teachings that are proclaimed in the Bible. Associate yourself as a member of a church. And before you join hands in fellowship with a body and submit yourself to the authority of the minister of that church, you better make sure that they're doing everything according to the plan that was given in the mount. You see, Jesus Christ gave a plan in the mount, the Mount of Olives. And He told them to go into Jerusalem and tarry until they be endued with power from on high. And they went there on the day of Pentecost in Acts the second chapter and they did it according to the plan that was showed to them in the mount where Jesus ascended. Now, in John the third chapter, it doesn't stop there. The Bible goes on down, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now Jesus had already told Nicodemus that he must be born again. However, he continues his conversation with Nicodemus by saying, in order to be born again, you must believe that Jesus Christ gave his life a ransom for you. You've got to believe that. But what if I don't believe that? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus Christ didn't go around pointing his finger at sinners and say, I'm going to condemn you to hell? No. Why? Because the Bible says he came not to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. Why did he not come to condemn the world? Because the world was condemned already. The world condemned itself when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. You may say, then, Brother Grant, it appears to me because that I inherited my condition that uh, it's unfair for me to be condemned. It is true that it's unfair for you to be condemned. And that's the reason why that Jesus Christ has a perfect plan in which condemnation can be taken away from you God himself saw that it was unfair for you. And this is the reason why that he has a plan for you today. Now we want to back up again to the Mosaic plan. And we want to take a careful look. There was a brazen altar in which the animal was slain. There was a brazen laver. Now when Jesus Christ started 
or when Moses started this particular plan, the first thing he did, he took the men in and he then purified them and cleansed them himself. Moses took Aaron and his sons and washed them at the brazen laver. Now, if you will notice what happens here in John, the third chapter, in verse 22, John the Baptist had been baptizing. John was a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. John introduced an idea. While this idea was changed later, in essence, by a new form of baptism, it was to initiate the plan of baptism in the country of Israel to get them ready for Jesus Christ that was to come. He took Pharisees by the droves and publicans by the hundreds down to the river of Jordan and dumped them uh, for repentance. He baptized them unto repentance. But when he did this, he said, I am only preparing your hearts for him that is to come. He said, I must decrease, but he must increase. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, saying there's one mightier than I that cometh after me, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, or whose shoe latches I am not worthy to loosen. Now he who comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In other words, he was very precise in his words. He pointed them to Jesus Christ that was to come. And so when Jesus Christ came upon the scene, John was baptizing. There was a man by the name of Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night, and John then, or Jesus, talked to him about what he ought to do to be saved. He then goes on, gives us one of the, or the most popular verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16. And then he makes it very plain. The reason why that the new birth is necessary is to rid yourself of condemnation. That's God's plan. He said, now, Jesus didn't come. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. Why? The world was condemned already. The devil had a plan. God had a counter plan. The devil wants you to go to hell. God's got a better idea. All right? And so he goes on to, down to say, and this is the condemnation, verse 19, that light is coming to the world that men and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, he goes on to say, after these things came Jesus, verse 22 of John 3, and his disciples into the land of Judea. Jesus then takes his disciples and goes into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. Now notice what happens in verse 23. And John also was baptized in an aeon near to Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Now notice in, in chapter 4 now. Let's turn to chapter 4, and uh, <clears throat> let's look at, at the results of all this. And when the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Now notice what happened. The Pharisees then, they heard of Jesus baptizing. 
Did you know that Jesus baptized before the day of Pentecost? Now I want to explain why. The Pharisees heard that Jesus Christ is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Now they were quite perplexed in their heart because now they had the message that Jesus must increase, John must decrease. However, just like all facets of human life, it's easy to get the story crossed up. You know, as much as I like to repeat the truth, I don't always repeat the truth right. People tell me something, I repeat it sometimes. My wife will call me aside and say, you didn't tell that the way that I told you. I said, well, I most certainly did. And she said, no, this is what I told you. I said, well, I didn't hear it that way. Now, we're all guilty of that. This is the reason why that if we were to start a story right here and we whispered it into each ear and you didn't hear how it originally started, when we got over here, Brother Larson, and he had to stand up and tell the story the way that the story was given to him, it wouldn't be anywhere near the way I gave it to Brother Felix. And that's the reason why that the Bible places so much emphasis on the necessity of not repeating stories. Basically, gossip we're talking about. Because <clears throat> you can't keep your facts straight. And you know what happens when things are not factual? Well, we don't want to get into that. Okay. <clears throat> so the Pharisees heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John. But the Bible makes it very clear in verse 2. Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. Now some people say that, well, what the scripture is saying that Jesus didn't baptize but his disciples were baptizing. Now, whoever gave the disciples permission to baptize, and if they baptized, how were they baptizing? Under John's baptism? Apollos baptized that way, but he was baptizing that way <coughs> after the death, the burial, and the resurrection, because that's all he knew. But these disciples who walked intimately with Jesus Christ knew better. Jesus was baptized of John, thus fulfilling all righteousness according to the Scripture. Jesus was that prophet likened to Moses. If you will look in Acts, the third chapter, <clears throat> in Acts, the third chapter, when the apostles Heal by the miraculous power of the Holy Ghost, the man by the gate called beautiful. You will find that when they begin to testify before the Sanhedrin and before all the people, verse 22 of Acts 3, And Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Jesus was the prophet likened to Moses. And just as Moses took the Levitical priesthood 
basically Aaron and his sons and purified them at the, the initiation of the Old Testament plan of salvation, the law, Jesus Christ, even prior to the day of Pentecost and prior to his death, his burial and his resurrection ordained 12 men who followed after them and he himself cleansed them in water. But he baptized nobody else because these men were to be the ordained ministers and the church was to become a product of the ministry, not the ministry a product of the church. And so when the Holy Ghost came upon Peter and the other apostles in Acts the second chapter, they stood up and they preached. And they preached that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and that he arose again. God raised him up and gave witness to all the people that he was alive. And the Bible says that God showed him openly. The scripture goes on to say, And this same Jesus whom you have crucified has become both Lord and Christ. The Bible says when Israel heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they ran unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, and they said unto them, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now God then had ordained ministers, men who had already repented of their sins, been cleansed by Jesus Christ himself, the giver of the New Testament plan of salvation. People who had received the gift of the Holy Ghost, who were able to stand there and say, Repent and be baptized every one of you. Every one of you. Not just you and you and you. It's not just a believer's type baptism that you receive denoting your belief in God. My friend, it is a very integral plan of salvation that God has given to us. Just as the innocent life of the animal was slain upon the altar, Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, hangs suspended between heaven and earth one day, and He became sin for you and shed innocent blood that spilled upon the ground to take away your condemnation. They took His lifeless body and placed it in a barred tomb. And after that lifeless body rested there in that barred tomb for three days and three nights, my friend, a great earthquake came and rolled back the stone, heralding to the world that there's an empty tomb in the garden there in which he was buried. Praise God. And you can visit Jerusalem today. And the remains of the Lord of glory are not found there. For he is alive indeed. Praise God. And when he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Oh, let me tell you something, friend. He who sits upon the throne today, the great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, He has given to us a better plan and a better idea than what the satanic forces of hell has for us. While some people believe that we are, as we are, victimized in sin, and the devil made us do it, and we can't do anything about it. Oh, while the devil made us do it, friend, and while we are victimized... God has a better idea and God has a better plan. 
Praise God. And just as that lamb was slain upon that altar, and just as then the priest's hands were cleansed, and just as the blood is sprinkled upon the altar of incense, that cross has provided to us a plan of salvation. If you will notice, there was a death, there was also water, and then there was entering in into the presence of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul speaks of the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, the gospel of the good news, by which also ye are saved. Let's say that together. Saved. Let's say it again. Saved. Let's say it again. Saved. How are you saved? You're saved by the gospel, the gospel which you receive, the gospel which you stand in. If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Notice what happened. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died according, uh, died for our sins <coughs> according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now this death, this burial, and this resurrection that you find taught throughout the New Testament that the apostles constantly preach is the plan of salvation for us today. Little wonder then when Paul found the disciples of John the Baptist knowing only the baptism of John. Little wonder that he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we have not so much as heard whether any Holy Ghost. His second and also equally as important question uh, under, then what were you baptized? They said under John's baptism. But wait just a minute. What did John say? Well, yeah, I know what he said. Uh, he said, I baptize you into water, under repentance, but there's one mighty than I coming after me, and that is to believe on Christ Jesus. Now the Bible says when John, uh, when Paul pointed out what John actually said, they were then re baptized if you are a disciple of John the Baptist I would recommend rebaptism because in the scripture John's disciples were rebaptized I'm not trying to be nasty I'm not trying to be hard on anybody it's just we have scriptural example of that I picked up a tract one time that I received in a laundromat was left there and it had the name of the church there and, and of course people bearing the name of, of John the Baptist and uh, they, they were pointing out uh, uh, the founder of their faith who was John and they were talking about what John believed and, and this, is, this is what they did they, they read all the way through the first and the second and the third uh, verse of John uh, Acts 19, and that's where they stopped. But it, it didn't have verse 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 there. And you know, the plan of salvation is this. Jesus Christ died so that your old body of sin can be nailed to the cross, so that a true death can take place inside of you. That body of sin that can, can be destroyed. See, repentance is a real death. 
You notice the apostles preach repentance, baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Now, I would say that, that John 3 was not talking about baptism at all, if that's the only scriptures that we have. But see, that's not the only scripture. We have the commandments, then we have the follow-through of those commandments. Now, God told Moses this. He said, now Moses, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take this plan down and deliver it to Israel. And I want you to build this tabernacle and get it all in order. I want you to cleanse the priest and get everything ready. And then, he said, my Holy Spirit's going to come down. See, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. God came down in the form of Jesus Christ, walked and talked, chose 12 men who symbolized the priests of the Old Testament, purified them and cleansed them, sent them into the upper room along with 120 other people, and they waited there for the presence of the Lord, just like Moses had done in the Old Testament. Got them all ready. And so Aaron and his sons, everybody stood there, and in, in the backside of Moses' mind, now the presence and the Shekinah of God is going to come down and rest in this place if I did things according to the plan in the mount. Tell me something. How come people want to be so slipshod in their relationship with God today? How come they want to say, oh, this doesn't mean anything, that doesn't mean anything? While I do not believe that the Old Testament plan, the priesthood, the tabernacle is applicable to us today, I do know that the new dispensation that started on the day of Pentecost, where they preach repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, applies to us today. You must be born of the water and the Spirit. But you see, before there can be a spiritual birth, there must also be a death. That death takes place in repentance. We were nailed to the cross with the Lord. The cross is a symbol of self-denial. It is a symbol of death. And then, <clears throat> what do you do with dead people? <clears throat> you, do you uh, just uh, uh, embalm them and, and set them out on a street corner so everybody can see them? Wouldn't this be a morbid world if, if, if all the dead people ever died, that you could just walk down and look at all of them? And <clears throat> it's quite a horrible thing to think about, isn't it? <clears throat> could I say something without offending? This is a very morbid world. And the reason why that it's so morbid spiritually is because, you see, if you never received real life in Jesus Christ... You're a dead person with corruption set in. You know what corruption is? It's decay. I'd like to rather go over to a funeral home where a body has been embalmed and preserved and view a dead body than I would to go out in a cornfield where somebody's been killed and the remains left there for a week or so. Now, we don't like to think about those things, but listen, friend, that's what the Bible's talking about. see and this is the reason why quite frankly the world stinks but aren't you glad that 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 once
the body has been purified. And a real death. We can take and bury them and get them out of the way. Why? You see, baptism was not only burial, but it was also birth. The old man is planted so that a new man can come up. And when the new man comes up, he is then a candidate for the presence of the Lord that will then come and rest upon him. And he is then filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Praise God. Friend, that's the plan of salvation for today. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? You may say, well, Brother Grant, I've been a churchgoer for all my life. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? You may say, I don't have to do that. You'd have a hard time convincing Peter of that. You may say, what does Peter have to do with it? Friend, he was a man who had the keys of the kingdom. There's a lot of people who believe that Peter was the first pope. Now they were to believe that. They said Peter was the first pope. I told some people who were arguing that one day, I said, well, let me tell you what your first pope said that you need to do. what I don't believe was the first pope. Nevertheless, this is what he had to say. He said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Now he was also the one that came along and said, the promise is unto you and to your children to all that are far off. And a lot of people say, well, the pope's given the power and the authority to change the word of God. You'd have a hard time convincing Peter that and if Peter was the first pope, I'm sure he wouldn't go along with that at all. <clears throat> Praise God. I'm just sure he wouldn't go along with it. You know, the whole holy city rests upon twelve foundations, each one bearing an apostle's name. Did you know Peter's name was on one of those foundations? Did you know that? It's there, friend. And it'll be there when you get to heaven. And if you get to heaven, it'll be because you received the plan that was given to the apostles in the mount. Praise God. I want you to stand with me at this time. <coughs> My mind right now goes to an elderly sister who has since passed on to be with the Lord. But I remember her coming into a prayer meeting we were having here, just having a prayer meeting, and she'd been a churchgoer all of her life. And <clears throat> she came in with her son. He was brand new in the Lord. and He said, Mom, come go to church. She was up in her 70s, late 70s, maybe early 80s. I'm not for sure. So she came out. Well, really the prayer meeting was not designed to be a service. 
we just dimmed the lights and everybody came in here and they began to pray and seek the Lord and get a hold of God. And I remember I was kneeling down up on the front about where Brother O'Neill standing here praying. For some reason I just turned and opened my eyes and I saw this elderly lady walk through the back door. I knew she was a guest so I watched her. Came in, she looked all around, and we were having a prayer meeting. I still remember one sister was kneeling down up here, and she was shaking in the presence of the Lord and talking in tongues. And she spoke with tongues and magnified the Lord in the spirit to her hair. She had her hair up in curls, was just hanging all down. I remember one gentleman laying back between the second and the third pew there in the floor. Oh, he was just weeping and crying. Her son just ignored her. He just came in here and got down on his knees. He just rolled up his sleeves and he just began to pray. I thought, now this woman is scared to death. <clears throat> she came in and went back about where Brother Tim or Sister Donna <coughs> sit or stand. And she sat down there. She looked around. I went back to her, and she she's very nervous. She said, uh, 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 I said, I'm Pastor Grant. I said, I'm the pastor here. She said, well, I'm uh, uh, Mrs. Renvick, she told me. She said, my son is a man down front praying here. And I said, well, it's good to have you with us. I said, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, I was going to tell her I'm sorry we're not having a service, you know. But then she said, "You know, Pastor, I don't think I'd ever get used to this kind of church." I said, "Well, this is not the way we really have church. We're having a prayer meeting here." She said, "Oh, you're not having church?" She said, "Well, everybody came. You mean you come? You don't have church?" And I said, "Well, we're in a prayer meeting." She said, "Oh, what's that all about?" So I began to explain it to her. She wagged her head and says, "I could never get used to that." Of course, all of you know <coughs> Terry Renvick and how persistent he is. He just insisted that his mother come back. And, of course, she had been a member of another long-standing American denomination for years. And <coughs> she knew the German language real well. And she also knew the English language. She came back the next night to a prayer meeting. I don't know why he brought her. You know, she. It was just a. You know, you just sit there, and all these people are praying, and the lights are dim. I think we only had the side lights on, and so she just sat there. Came back to a service or so. All of a sudden, through the opening of her understanding by the Holy Ghost, she began to understand that. Hey, I have not been baptized right. Baptism, according to the scripture, is an immersion. It's a burial. Uh, you don't bury people by sprinkling a little dirt upon their casket. You seal them in. You lock them in. Pouring and sprinkling became popular in the 3rd and the 4th and 5th on down to the 8th century. The apostles didn't do it that way, neither did Jesus. You can't find that in the scripture. Not trying to be nasty, 
Friend, your salvation is the most important thing that you'll deal with on this planet Earth. You cannot afford to be slipshod and unconcerned about it. You don't want to die with a question mark in your relationship with God. You may say, God's not that bad. I know He isn't. That's why He put it in writing and put the book in your hand as to what you need to do. <coughs> now that's how concerned He was. Somebody began to show her what you need to do. She said, wow, you mean to tell me that I've been a member of this church for all of these years? She said, how come nobody's ever told me about it? Now, I remember the night that I took her in the tank and baptized her. She was old. Her joints were swollen. She had arthritis in her knees ankles were swollen she could hardly kneel down to pray and I took her in the tank and before I baptized her she stopped everything she said wait a minute let me say something so I stopped she said I am not being baptized tonight because of the pressure that my son has placed upon me and I'm not being baptized tonight because that I want to satisfy anybody. I am being baptized tonight because Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of my salvation, has given to me the knowledge of the plan. I put her down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and she came up out of the water and lifted her hands. She did not receive the Holy Ghost in the tank. She went home. She wept and cried and one night she decided that I'm going to get down and kneel down and pray. It's not going to be easy kneeling down. Her heart was so heavy and she opened her Bible to the 23rd Psalm and she began to read but it didn't come out English. And because that she was an elderly lady, she told me, because that sometimes I, I have problems with the English language, I got my German Bible. And I opened it up and I began to read the 23rd Psalm and it didn't come out German. And she closed her Bible and closed her eyes and lifted her hands. And she began to pray in that heavenly language as the Spirit began to give her utterance. The great presence of God came down in that place. And while we still wear a robe of flesh, that has been subjected to the inner man that's been recreated. 
you and I know that we still have a robe of sin. We plant the old man, but that's not just talking about this sinful robe of flesh. That's talking about the old inner, inner man that's corrupt. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. See? The old nasty inner man that causes us to be and think the way we are and the way we think. But you know, this robe of flesh will not be fully redeemed until it dies and goes back to the earth and then God will raise it an incorruptible body. See? But I still remember one night, and every now and then while I'm preaching I get a little happier than what I did tonight. But every now and then I'd preach and I'd I'd jump on one leg and just have a great time up here preaching. Grandma Rivet got up, kind of waddled out the the door. Legs were heavy, swollen, ankles full of water. Stayed out for a long time, and Sister Grant decided she had to check on her. Went to the ladies' restroom. She opened the door. Grandma Rivick was in there with her leg out. She was trying it like I did it. She was a little bit embarrassed. She said, Brother Grant, she said, I knew I couldn't do it in there, but I just thought maybe if I came in here, I could... I might be able to do it like Brother Grant's doing it. Well, a few weeks later, we buried her out at Stoughton in a cemetery waiting for the day that she will receive her incorruptible body. I don't really know. But I know this one thing. That when the trumpet of the Lord blows, the dead in Christ will rise. If you want to rise up, you've got to have the Spirit of Christ in you. You've got to be baptized with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I like to use my imagination. And if for some reason it offends you occasionally, just consider the source. Okay? Sometimes I get a little wild with my imagination. It's, it brings a lot of satisfaction to me. But I can just see the trumpet of the Lord sounding. And you know who's going to get up first? Those who sleep with Jesus. If I'm privileged to be alive when the Lord comes back, Grandma Remick's going to get up before I go up. And she's going to be changed from a corruptible person, body, to an incorruptible, to match that spirit and that soul that's been cleansed in baptism 
in the new birth. And I'll guarantee you one thing, friend. When those pearly gates swing open wide for Sister Renwick, she'll be able to stand on one leg and shout down the streets of gold. Hallelujah. I'm free. Free indeed. You see, there was one tree in the midst of the garden that they couldn't eat of. The tree of life. And it appears that God plucked it up out of the Garden of Eden. And he puts it by the river of life in the holy city. And the Bible speaks of the tree of life there that stretches forth its branches and it has the beautiful leaves and they are for the healing of the nations. A robe of flesh that's subject to decay and sickness. If I were to ask right now how many of you are suffering from some symptom of sickness, you could lift your hands. I'd say we'd have a lot of hands right now, and I've had trouble with this for a long time. I have a very bad burning sensation in my ankle right now that's hurt from the time I stepped into this pulpit till now. I believe that Jesus Christ was striped for our healing. But I also am well aware of this. That if he heals me right now, there will someday be something that comes along to destroy my flesh further. To take me out of this planet earth. That's his plan. I know that. Because I know the scripture teaches it. And I'm not asking you to look for sickness. I'm not saying that you should keep your eyes wide open and look for sickness. But I know this, friend. When we walk into the presence of God. And he momentarily steps from the throne. He shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. For there shall be no more sorrow. Neither shall there be any more death. For the former things, it's talking about life on the planet earth, the former things have passed away. Neither shall there be any more sickness and sorrow. Neither shall there be any more pain. The devil would like to lock you in chains of darkness and bind you forever and condemn you to a devil's hell. But Jesus Christ would like for you to stand in his presence with all of that guilt of sin taken away and give you peace and joy and everlasting life. You want it tonight? 
you can have it. Who'd like to be the very first one to come and surrender their heart to God? On both sides of the pulpit, there is a place for you to kneel and pray. If you'd like to repent of your sins, come right now. If you've already repented, but you've never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, why don't you come on right now? If you have repented and been baptized, but not filled with the Holy Ghost, why don't you come on now? Why don't you believe that God is rewarder of those that diligently seek Him? If He said He would do it, friend, He'll do it. He wants to do it. Why don't you just exercise your faith by simply stepping out and coming on right now? Come on, who'd like to be the first one? Sister Grant, let's sing the beautiful chorus that we sing, Heaven for Me. Heaven for me. You want heaven... Would you like to go to heaven?